everyone. Welcome back to the Enterprise Design Podcast brought to you by VMware Design. I'm Laurel Byers with my lovely co-host, Tishar Roy. Today's episode is focused around design operations, what it is, how it's done, and why it's so vital for enterprise products. We have Red Dolan here, who runs the design ops at VMware and helps make my, Tishar, and many other design teams here run smoothly day to day. Red has been in product, uh, product development since 2003. They transitioned their career to design ops and operations in 2017 and considers it one of the best moves in their career because they get to help improve the lives of those they work with daily. Thank you, Red. You're definitely improving our lives. Uh, Red happily geeks out for hours about their ops motto, reducing friction and increasing engagement. And luckily, we'll be geeking out today, learning more about design ops functions in the enterprise product design space. Red, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Appreciate it. Welcome, Red. I'm so excited about this episode. So let's just dive right in. Let's start by sharing with our audiences your definition of design ops. What does it do? And why is it important? There's there's sort of like two camps of folks when it comes to design operations or design ops. Um, you tend to find sometimes that one camp revolves around like, hey, tools, uh, budget, um, you know, rhythm of business type things. So it's sort of more of the mechanics of design, um, sometimes related to process and tooling and stuff. Um, and then sometimes you find some camps, the camp that I tend to, you know, um, observe, which is something that's a bit more holistic. So they will do those things in addition to things around people. So it's, uh, you know, onboarding, it's uh, career development, it's mentoring, it's, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, engagement, you know, how are we, how are we tracking the health of our organization, and our people and stuff. Um, so it, it can depend, but those are some things that tend to fall into the wheelhouse of, of design ops. Um, I would say, you know, from the folks that I've spoken to over the years, um, they're still pretty, it's not like you're seeing like a shift towards one over the other. I'd say that there's still a bit of both in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and a big part of this, and, and maybe we'll touch on it a little bit later, really depends on what the organization and the teams need. So in some cases, you may find that what the team and organization needs is more of that sort of um, the functional hard skill sort of stuff. Uh, whereas you may see, especially with things that we've seen over the past few years with like pandemic and, um, you know, uh, the various things that we've seen in our humanity, <laughs> um, that there needs to be more emphasis on the human aspect of like what we do in operations. So it really depends, but my opinion is um, if you're, you know, just really working on trying to optimize the way designers are doing things, um, if you're not looking at it holistically, you're only, you know, getting half of it. So, yeah, we're off to a great start. I think managing tools and processes is just half of it, right? But ops can really help a design team. Uh, be way more effective and and can help designers focus on what they do best, right? Like deliver great designs on time. So like you said, it 
definitely starts even before a person joins a company, especially in a large organization, in a complex enterprise product space like ours. It should make a huge difference, no, between a new designer getting lost in a maze or being set up for success with a, with a smooth onboarding. How does ops help with that? Um, let's see, onboarding is, you know, I think it really depends on the context. Um, but the way that I've seen onboarding done well within our organization, within other teams and other companies that I've been with them is that you, you want to think about the sort of like, um, the user journey of that new person coming in. And a lot of this starts before they even start. So, you know, consider it day zero if you want. So that's the idea of like, hey, how are they finding us as a design team? You know, are they being sourced? Like are recruits reaching out to them? Are they reaching out to us? So some of this is understanding like how that initial connection point starts. Um, and then it goes through the interview process. Like what is that interview process? feel like to them you know are we doing our diligence as a design team to facilitate good conversation and understand their skills and create an environment where we really get to know each other on both sides of the interview um, and then you know assuming that it works out things are kind of moving forward and the offer has been uh, extended and accepted then you're getting closer to sort of like start dates. And there's some things that are happening in the background from like, you know, potentially on the size of your company or teams and stuff that, you know, you've got like IT that's helping with some of the hardware and some of the, the stuff that's happening from HR. But one of the things that you find also is that the new person coming into a design team is like, hey, you know, I was able to maybe get a small snapshot of what the culture of design looks like. Um, and in some cases, you'll see, you know, design teams that create sort of like a welcome box or a welcome kit. Uh, and with things, you know, going remote over the past few years with the pandemic and stuff, um, you know, some of the times they're being shipped out to new, new hires. So whereas, you know, somebody starting off and they were going in the office, they would start day one and their desk might be sort of decorated with some swag and maybe a welcome uh, letter or, you know, some, some fun decorations or stuff. So people have started to translate that into sort of like a care package. Um, this is something that we were doing at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's something that, you know, I think we'd like to do again. So onboarding is about starting to kind of like start on a good foot, creating that culture of like, we recognize you, we value you. We're just as excited to work with you as you probably are with us. Um, onboarding then kind of deepens that relationship by understanding that user journey is like, hey, the person's gonna start on their first day. They're excited, but they're also probably scared. They don't know what they're walking into. They're nervous, maybe some anxiety. Um, and part of that is for us, on like on the ops side is to understand that journey of like, what is it that they're trying to do in those first days and weeks? Um, you know, the company may have some onboarding specifically when it comes to design, what they're trying to understand is like, what is the culture of design? You know, what are the things that I should be 
uh, paying attention to, um, you know, who should I talk to, who should I connect with, um, when will I start working on something? You know, these are all a lot of really good questions. So from an onboarding perspective, it's good to get ahead of that by having a lot of those answers uh, sort of like front loaded, you know, and this could be through some sort of onboarding process. You know, for us, we have, um, you know, a welcome guide that kind of walks a new hire through these various pieces. Um, another part of it, too, is helping to set expectations. Um, you know, you have some sense of like what the culture of design might be through the interview, but it isn't until you actually get in the first few days that you're like, you know, does everybody work at Mach 6? You know, is this a pretty laid back, you know, culture? You know, what is the expectation of, of that? kind of loops back to what I was talking about, like how soon will I be working? Um, some new people that I've talked to over the years, you know, they're like, hey, you know, do I start working on stuff this week? You know, is it a month? Like, so being able to help set that expectation with them and be like, you know what? Um, you know, in my mind, it's kind of like, you're going to spend your time getting your bearings for the first few days, drinking from a fire hose of like, here's our culture, here's our mission, here's our OKRs. Here's the way that we operate, get your tool set up, get your, your system, your workspace set up, meet a few people, kind of get your, you know, get your, your foundation set. And all of this, you know, from what we've seen over the past couple, you know, maybe four, five, six years is that that takes a few weeks. So while that's happening, um, don't worry about getting your hands, you know, dirty and work yet. We want to make sure that you've got a good foundation to work from. So a lot of it is, in my mind, with onboarding is being able to know how to answer those questions at the right time and also set expectations so the person we're like reducing anxiety, reducing nervousness and fear and stuff and building trust and building comfort and security around how they're kind of getting started. Um, and I've seen, you know, one of the other aspects of onboarding, too, is that this can this can um, wildly vary depending on a person's sort of tenure, not tenure, but, a um, their experience in their career. So when you see a very junior designer where it's their first design gig, they're going to be nervous and it may take them a little longer to kind of get into things. Whereas somebody like a staff level designer or somebody very senior, um, they tend to ramp up on things much quicker. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember uh, when I joined two years ago, I wasn't even part of the design org, but I got my hands on on the guide and I, it was just so helpful and nice to have it all kind of there and organized um, for even, you know, the teams that aren't part of it, because it allowed me to know who to contact on your, on your side, right, um, to learn the processes and things that the design org does. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, our team isn't necessarily massive, like some companies, but it's also not small, like a startup. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about the differences of how design ops operates um, in small, medium, and large uh, design teams. For the folks that may have been in the industry, the design industry for some time, there's there's a, a term that's like the design team of one. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you've ever experienced it, it can be a lot to handle as the only designer within, you know, a team or teams of engineers and products and stuff along those lines. Yeah. That um, was my life yeah. for like three years, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, I did it. I've been there. Yes. I've had that happen a couple of times too. 
Um, so I, I use that as an example for kind of what happens in design ops a lot of times is you have a design ops team of one. Um, and typically what happens is there's somebody that has a inclination or um, just the way that they approach things where they want to make things run smoother or maybe operationalize things or make things more efficient. So this person may lean towards sort of like a design ops, like the skill sets, and then maybe they, you know, move into that role, you know, potentially by their own admission or maybe leadership or, you know, maybe it's collaborative or something along those lines. Uh, in some cases, you know, a design team may recognize now, I think now that the role has sort of become more established within the, uh, in the industry, you'll see some design teams where they're just like, hey, we're getting to this point, we need to hire somebody. So um, I would, I've had lots of conversations with designers and design ops folks about this. And to me, even a lone designer, the design team of one, in a lot of cases is doing design ops. Even if they don't work with anybody, they're trying to figure out like, hey, how do I name my files so that I can find stuff efficiently? Where, how do I organize stuff within my projects so that I can find this? You know, how do I build things like design tools to help my uh, prototyping and you know research faster? Those types of things. Um, it's not always, but I find that even lone designers will do this. Um, but what happens is once you have more than one designer, it almost becomes critical because now you have two people wanting to do things in different ways. So it's coming to some sort of agreement to say like, this is the way that we're going to operationalize our design. Um, will there be a specific role? No, it's probably shared responsibilities. Where you start seeing a official sort of role of design ops pop up in teams like size-wise, um, there's a design ops sort of industry report. I've got to find out where it is. I can send you all the link to it and stuff if you want to pop it in the show notes. Yeah, um, I want to say it's right around like 20 to 25 designers. So that's when you start to see an inflection point where a team has grown large enough where they start to see this. Now, sometimes it happens very early, you know, five to 10 designers, and you may see a design ops person. You may not see a design ops person actually that role establish until you you know you're hitting like 50 people which is i think like way too late at that point but again it's my perspective <laughs> um from what we've seen the the general sort of ratio of design ops to designers is about one to 20. um healthy you know you might be looking at like 15 one to 15 but generally like one to 20 is right around where one, one to 21 to 25 is like where you start seeing it. So in an organization, you know, say like hundred designers, um, you know, having like four ops people is, is pretty, pretty standard. How does it split up at that point? Like once you start going past one person in design ops, <laughs> like what are the kind of channels? That's a good question. Um, so it could vary. Um, Sometimes you get specialization, you know, so for like within our organization, we had somebody for like resource operations and somebody for like accessibility operations. And we had somebody driving uh, design, design and research practice. 
So sometimes you get specialization, sometimes everybody shares a role, and then depending on the seniority, you may find that somebody is just kind of like, hey, they're the subject matter expert, but everybody shares these responsibilities. And that work is sort of um, sectioned out by teams, like, oh, hey, I'll take on, you know, teams A through C, and then Tushar take on, you know, the next three teams, and then you'll take on the next three teams or something along those lines. Hmm. How much does complexity of a product space define that demand? Like, do you think simpler consumer products need the same resourcing? Um, where I could see the the increased need of resourcing or like support around operations could potentially be around the domain. So if the domain itself is more complex, you know, there may be um, there may be a greater need for support around education and enablement. Um, you know, a complex product with a lot of moving parts could have a larger need around things like, um, you know, design libraries and the articulation behind that versus something that's a very simple, um, like consumer application where there isn't a lot of moving parts. Um, ultimately, like, the scale of that solution changes, I think, um, based on the complexity kind of, of what's the happening. So we were, simpler sort well, of experiences well, we were potentially have simpler solutions. Um, but like, what is, what so, is yeah, the I ideal that affecting the size or ratio of a design ops team? Like, how do you properly size that and find the right balance? Um, a lot of it's going to depend on the sort of the roadmap, like what are the needs within an organization? If an organization is, um, pretty mature in their design practice, the needs around operations might be less than a design organization that maybe isn't as mature. Maybe they need a lot of, um, assistance or support around things like, you know, design systems or uh, onboarding or research practices or something along those lines. So it can it can wildly vary. Um, sort of what I was getting at before, the one to twenty, one to twenty five sort of ratios are pretty. That that's that seems to be the average that's sort of stabilized over the past few years based on the survey that comes out in, the, in our industry and stuff. Um, but this can really be determined based on what the needs are within an organization. So if there's a heavier need on the research side for that sort of support, it might make sense to bring in somebody as sort of like research ops. Um, if, if a team or, you know, uh, 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 maybe teams of designers are really excellent and, and very skilled with research, there might not be as much of a need around that, but maybe they need things around, um, you know, uh, like design strategy or something along those lines. Maybe they haven't gone that far. So being able to bring in or leverage, and this is one of the things too that I like to do as well, is, um, you know, as a person that's sort of, I don't know, maybe an air traffic controller of sort of like the needs within the organization, is sometimes re recognizing that um, the the best way to facilitate the growth is sometimes by tapping on the subject matter experts within that team itself or those teams that we work with. So you may find that there's somebody that does motion design like really well. They're just super passionate about it. It's like, well, 
how do we lift their boat and give them support and scaffolding, you know, potentially build a program around them so that they can raise the boats of everybody around in, you know, motion design, if that's something that's important to the organization. Um, this could happen the same thing with, like I was saying, with like design strategy. Maybe there's somebody that's really good with strategy. You know, how do we learn from them? How do we, um, you know, support them in their growth and help them become more of a leader within the organization? So sometimes the the ops isn't necessarily a specific person, but it's being able to facilitate and uh, the knowledge of the people and uh, the knowledge that exists within the organization already. So, you know, while you may have three or four people that are quote unquote, like design ops, they actually have like the title or the role of responsibilities. They may be working with, you know, several dozen people within the organization through various programs to help facilitate operational sort of excellence or growth. So it could, it could change a lot depending on kind of like, you know, the the agility of the design ops team, the agility and needs of the design organization. Yeah, ops can really help elevate the quality of a design team. I love the motion design example that you gave. Um, ops can provide a platform that enables scaling and multiplying the various skills that are available to a design team, right? And it seems a design team with lower maturity could... Um, better use the help of design ops, right? It's interesting you say that because I think about how it's probably a pretty big challenge when you have a design team that is, uh, the maturity of it is potentially really low. Mm -hmm. And then for, to get design ops in there actually seems like a bigger challenge um, because there's not necessarily anyone there to to support it because it's not mature enough to, to know that it needs that. Um, so to that point, maybe we can speak a little bit about the challenges you face. Is that one that you can relate to or are there others? Yeah, there's a, there's no shortage of work or opportunities in what I do. Um, you know, I've been doing this like, I don't know, probably five years now. And I think right out of the gate, I recognized where it was like, you know, I did a listening tour and spoke with a lot of the designers to understand, you know, kind of retrospect. Um, you know, what's working, what could be improved. And um, this is a pretty common sort of like research uh, practice that's done in design ops, especially uh, new folks coming into an organization, or maybe it's like the first role of design ops. And they're coming in to sort of understand the pulse of the organization, what are the needs and opportunities. Um, and, and again, I try to look at this holistically because there's it's not just coming in and being like, what's broken, let's fix it. It's also, you know, recognizing and trying to, you know, elevate the things that are working. Um, so in that situation, what happens is you build a roadmap of, you know, here are the 20 things that we could be working on. And then, you know, through those conversations, you know, figure out a way to prioritize them in such a way where it's like, hey, these are really critical areas that we need to focus on. Um, and that may be three or four and looking at those, you may also realize where it's just like, oh, we can only work on one of these at a time, because if we were to change all four of these things, it's going to be so disruptive to the design team that are we actually going to make any meaningful change? Um, so what are the challenges? Uh, the challenges are, you know, you're essentially trying to not 
what's the analogy somebody used one time? It's like, you're, you're trying to uh, um, change the tire on a car that's actually moving. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there's, there's no shortage of opportunities in my mind. It's, it's as soon as we move from, okay, well, let's mature our tooling and our process and then, you know, the pandemic hits and it's like, oh, you know, how do we focus on making sure that people feel connected and mental health is something that is being addressed and we're, is being supported. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a shift, uh, shifting sands type of thing. Um, and always trying to recalibrate with the organization to understand, like, here's the five things that we're looking to work on. Here's 20 other things that I've heard people say that are, you know, a challenge that these are sort of like on the backlog. We'll get to them when we can. We may not get to them for some time. It may be years because of just the priority shifting and stuff. So um, there's been, uh, you know, circling back to the onboarding thing. Um, you know, we got our onboarding program to a place where I felt like it was running pretty consistently. And not so, so like to the place of like ideal state, but it was running good enough. And then over the few years, it was realizing like, hey, we've had a lot of changes within our organization. And there's been a lot of other priorities where it's kind of pushed onboarding to sort of like the back burner. And it was like being able to say like, no, this is something that's really important. To me, onboarding is one of the most important programs within uh, design ops. Um, it helps set sort of the foundation and the direction. Um, and there's a lot of you know, business and HR metrics around, um, you know, the success of onboarding and what it does for a person's morale, um, their retention, their ability to connect and, you know, and to, and to make meaningful, you know, um, contributions and drive value within a design organization, their role, so many things. <laughs> so for me, seeing that, like, onboarding was something that we weren't continuing to foster growth in and iterate and, and improve was something that kind of like sat in the back of my mind for a couple of years. And finally I got to the point where it's just like, this needs to change. So sometimes it's a matter of like, you know, the organization push changes to way they, they need them and sort of speak up to them. And then sometimes it's a matter of, I think somebody within design ops to be like, Hey, yeah, this is actually the most important thing. And then you have to do some convincing. I love the idea of the listening to that you had done. Um, what were you really listening for? I guess it kind of goes back to sort of like what you all had shared in my intro. Um, to me, it's, it's understanding where are the points of friction within the team, within a person, within a team, within an organization. So where are the points of friction and like, how do you increase engagement? And the engagement is to me, what really motivates me it isn't so much about like oh let me go through and make things just run faster let me make you know the the make the machine run more smoothly to me like i get more more um meaningful sort of like connection with people when i'm looking at it from that engagement standpoint it's like um there's some other business metrics around something to the effect of um the there's as as a person, an employee, a teammate's um, engagement drops, their attrition percentages like dramatically increase. So um, to me, this is sort of like a meaningful sort of metric to sort of understand. It's like, 
if you have a lot of if you have a lot of folks that you work with that are disengaged, um, you know, work's more difficult to get done. Even if you're really excited about the work that you're doing as a designer and you're working with a lot of people that are just you know frustrated, um, tired, burnt out, you know, those are all friction points. When you're able to address those things and people are able to kind of like focus on the work that they really want to do, things just move smoother. So people are able to um, find more joy and more fulfillment in the work that they do. I bet that's a bit of a double-edged sword because designers are so, they're really passionate about what they do typically. Like I haven't really met a designer who's not passionate about design. Um, <laughs> so it's a little even more trickier because you got to be really careful with like what you're disrupting and how you're helping them because it may even trigger them a bit more, right? Yeah. Um, there's... There's process for process's sake. There's some things where it's just, it makes sense to, it's like, hey, we need to have a process. This is the way we do things. Um, I like to use the analogy like uh, guardrails and railroad tracks. Um, there's certain things that have to be done a certain way. And I try to minimize those so that it doesn't feel like there's just a lot of railroad tracks everywhere and try to give teams and people more guardrails like hey here's the area to kind of work within to me that gives them direction it gives them flexibility um designers um you know they need sort of direction they need constraints to work within constraints really drive creativity um and uh, innovation and sparks a lot of stuff so giving somebody a blank piece of paper a lot of times can be really challenging draw a box or a shape on that all of a sudden like it starts to kind of trigger something so you create those constraints those those um those guardrails but in some situations yeah to your point where it's like you lean too heavy on process or like this is the way we do things and you get people sort of resisting or revolting yeah that makes sense so obviously you have to work with a lot of designers in these things i'm curious like from your position, like how would you want designers to work better with design apps? Like what are some things like designers can keep in mind to, to make sure that that collaboration is, is going mm. the right direction? I like, I like this question. Um, the, I haven't faced a lot of like resistance from designers, which is nice. I, so the things that I would recommend are recognize that design ops is, is there to help you. I mean, first and foremost, um, I am a designer by nature. My design, my 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 problem solving, the the things that I work on, the, those types of things, are people problems. They're you know, to me, it was a very easy transition for me to go from like product design to like design ops because it was they're very 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 similar in my mind. So for me, it's think about it from like that empathy standpoint, which is like as a designer. You know, most designers that I know are motivated because they know that the work that they're doing is going to make the life of somebody better in some way. You know, they're going to make it easier. They're going to bring more joy to it, whatever it happens to be. So thinking about it from that lens, I'm doing the same thing. My product is sort of like the programs that I'm doing. My users are the designers. So ultimately for me, a lot of my motivation comes from like helping people almost kind of help themselves to some extent. So, um, I think that's a part 
of it that I would recommend to designers is, you know, come from a place of empathy is that people in design ops are generally very passionate the same way that designers are because they know at the end of the day, the work that they're doing is helping people. Um, for me, it's more meaningful because it's helping the people that I work with every day. So it's much closer to home. So being able to see like, you know, a team go from having a lot of friction and dysfunction to really figuring things out and running really smoothly. And that team is somebody that I work very closely with. Um, it's, I don't know, it hits, it hits harder. It's really interesting. Um, other things that designers could do, um, designers are great about solving problems. And I've seen, and I've worked with a lot of designers in our organization in the past where they see a problem, they try to figure out how to fix it. Um, where this is sort of a double-edged sword is, you know, I'll use the onboarding example. Um, you know, say you've got a team of designers and they're like, hey, you know, we hired somebody and we saw that they were really struggling with something in onboarding. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to fix this and we're going to create our, our own onboarding. And it's like, okay, well, that's helpful to like one person in that isolation. What would be more helpful is to share that information upwards with design ops so that they can understand potentially what's not working in the greater onboarding program. Um, you may have presented a unique solution that can be leveraged and uh, scaled. So it's a matter of understanding that the the solution or solutions that designers come up with in their sort of like isolation of their silo if they could feel empowered to share that with design ops then that's something that a lot of other people can um, take advantage of and get value from so this is this is something i've asked designers for years um it's it's i don't want to say a point of contention but <laughs> it's definitely something that i would hope over the years and a lot of designers have i have a lot of folks that have reached out to me and been like hey we're working on this and we figured out you know here's a potential solution can we work with you because we know that you could scale this for us it's like awesome but i've also had some designers where they just are like oh yeah we you know we um we built the solution on our own and we've had it for like a year and it's like why didn't you say anything like i've been kind of working on something this would have been really great we could work together <laughs> So it's, I think a lot of times getting designers to um, think about a bigger picture beyond just their team. Yep. We, we have to think beyond our teams for the greater good, right? Okay. So here is my last question, Red. What kind of people gravitate towards this profession? It's a pretty natural progression for designers to migrate into design ops. That's the way I've done it. Um, I don't know the percentages, but I've talked to a lot of people in design ops roles that were previously like product designers. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say somewhere in the neighborhood of like maybe 60 or 70 percent. So there's a large percentage of folks that sort of evolve their product design role into a design ops role. Um, a lot of other roles that I've seen come from um, uh, program management or project management sometimes. Um, sometimes it is, what's the other role? They call them producers. So sometimes producers uh, from organizations is kind of like a design ops role. Um, so it can, it can depend 
but I find that a lot of it comes from within design. Yeah, that would make sense. I can imagine it'd be pretty hard to move into design ops without having some general understanding of the life of a designer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen so, some program managers that have been able to say, for instance, they're a program manager within engineering or uh, product management or potentially even different part of the company. They understand how the function of program management works. They may not understand the context of the role of design. Uh, understanding how a designer works is like it, it's not it's not complicated. So seeing a program manager shift, you know, from a technical program manager like a TPM role into like design ops, I've seen that actually happen quite a bit too. Yeah, makes sense. So we're at the end here, and I'm curious, like, are there any like parting thoughts <laughs> or final statements that you that you want people to know, the audience to know about about design ops? Um. Hmm. I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, let's see. I know it was a, it was a, Put me on the spot. yeah, <laughs> no, um, the, the, uh, the role of design ops has grown a lot in the past five years. Um, I sort of liken it to, you know, design, you know, about 20 years ago, where it was, you know, user experience, the user center sort of stuff that was coming up. And we've seen the evolution of design and, and the rapid adoption of it within like organizations and teams and companies. Um, and we're seeing a similar sort of adoption cycle within design ops. So we're seeing um, you know, larger design teams, even smaller design teams were just like, Hey, we need a design ops person. Um, so I guess my parting thought would be, this is a new role in, in its, like in its title. Um, the work of design operations has been, you know, it's been done by managers and design leads for many, 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 many years. So it's not something that's new, but having it sort of centralized into a role is something that's new. Um, and I guess my parting thought would be is like, you know, be patient, you know, design ops is still kind of in its infancy. There's a lot of it that's been established. Um, there's a lot of it that's still being worked out and also sort of touching on something I mentioned before is that like design ops is really there to help you. So if you as a designer or as a design team are struggling with something, that's your person or team to go to. They may not have an answer, but they at least understand that there's a challenge or a problem that they weren't aware of before, or maybe they are aware of it and they are starting to work on it. Um, one of my favorite things, honestly, is to work with designers and, and like co-create like what that solution looks like and iterate on it and pilot the solution and that program. Um, so if you know if you have the bandwidth or you can, you know, you can squeeze some time in to help foster that, that'll go a long way too. So you're sort of, um, as, as the user, I guess, in that sort of situation, you know, the designer has the ability to influence what that solution could be. So to me is there's, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of like work together and figure out it's like, Hey, you know, I see a potentially, you know, happy path here or a cow path here. And, you know, I can shed some light on this and I want to be involved in this and then actually see that come to fruition and become something that becomes part of the culture.
what a perfect way to end this. If you see something, say something. And together, let's do something to make the world a better place. Red, it was great talking to you, as always. And thank you so much for chatting with us today. And dear listeners, please let us know how you have liked today's episode. And don't forget to tune in next month. Until then, let's take good care of ourselves and the world around us. Bye-bye.